Well, Sunday morning, Book of Revelation, Ultimate Realities, and today's the last message. Though we will be having a PS, a postscript. So what's the last message? Well, it's the personal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 22, verse 7, Behold, I am coming soon. Verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon. Verse 20, Surely I am coming soon. Says the Lord Jesus Christ, Never forget, I'm coming soon. And he says it not once, not twice, but three times, a threefold witness to the ultimate reality that Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming for his bride. And he says, it won't be long. I'm coming soon. So hold on. Never forget. Get ready. Five things to say, five points. And point number one, Christ is coming. He promised he would. You remember John 14? He said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. I'll come again. And the men chosen by Christ to be his apostles, they spoke of his coming. So Peter speaks of the day of the Lord will come. John says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. James, the coming of the Lord, is at hand. Paul, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jude, quoting from Enoch, he declares, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. Just a handful of the many verses. The New Testament speaks of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the Lord's table? It's a reminder that the coming of the Lord is near. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, says Paul, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So every communion is more solemn, more special, more thrilling than the one before. Because the Lord's coming is nearer. Maybe with each successive Lord's table, we should, we should hold our breath. Because His coming is nearer. And how do the early Christians greet one another? They would say, Maranatha, O Lord, come. And the Spirit and the Bride say, come. How do we greet each other? Maybe the Lord's coming has dropped off our radar. And here we have almost the very last words of the Bible. Christ's parting words. The bridegroom's parting words to his bride. What does he say? He who testifies these things says, Surely, build your life on this. I am coming. Soon. So with the next page, the next page we turn is his coming. So history is, is moving towards the momentous event, the ultimate reality. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ 
will come again. So point number two, when will he come? We don't know, other than it will be soon. Jesus said, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, some people have scoured the Bible for clues as to when he's going to return, and they feel they found a rich seam when they come to passages like Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. And they read about wars and and rumors of wars and famines and pestilence and earthquakes and false prophets and false Christs. And they say, ah, yes, that's it. If If you read it right, read the signs right, they speak of the imminent coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as I preached many times over the years, those signs don't refer to Christ's return. They refer to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70 by the Romans. Signs then were very necessary. Advance warnings. The unthinkable was going to happen. The Romans would unleash a terrible slaughter. And the believers alive at the time, they read those warnings correctly. Which is why when the Romans unleashed that terrible retribution upon the Jews, the believers had already fled the scene and were safe. In fact, the destruction of Jerusalem is the last signpost that we're going to be given. The next event is Christ's return. So Jesus says, uh, Luke 21, verse 28, Now when you see... Sorry, now when these things begin to take place, speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. When you see the destruction of Jerusalem, don't despair. It's not the end of the world. On the contrary, it's the last signpost before the ultimate event. Christ's return, Christ's coming again. So Jesus says, when you see these things happen, don't be despondent. Shoulders back, chin up. Because Jesus' return just got one step nearer. So there are no signs to herald his coming other than his coming. Peter, 2 Peter 3 verse 10 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. 1 Thessalonians 5, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers. Okay, you want to know, you want to know, times, seasons. Give us the clues, Paul. You have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware. I've already told you about this, says Paul. That the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. How does a thief come? You like the dentist, sends you a postcard or a little text beforehand saying, Saturday, 2 a.m. in the morning, um, I'm going to burgle your house. Sign the burglar. He comes when you least expect him. That's how Christ's coming will be. It will be when people least expect him. So there won't be big signposts saying, it's now, it's now, it's now. The signpost of his coming is his coming. He comes when people don't expect him. He comes as a thief in the night. Sudden, swift, 
devastating. So don't be caught unawares. Point number three, how will he come? The Acts of the Apostles. Remember the angel's words at Christ's ascension. And when, this is, this is um, Christ ascended to heaven, and when he had said these things, that's Jesus, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, let's get our geography right. Uh, as they're uh, watching, Christ is lifted up, and uh, he passes uh, out of their sight, the, the clouds and so on, but he's not going, as it were, up into outer space. So when he ascends, he's not going past the moon and Mars and Jupiter. He's not going into outer space. What he's doing is passing from our dimension of the creation into God's dimension of the creation. He's passing into heaven. Think of a door between the two worlds. So he passes from our dimension into God's dimension. Okay, but listen to what the, the angels say. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Okay, into God's dimension. This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So he ascended bodily, he returned bodily. He ascended visibly, he returned visibly. He ascended personally, he returned personally. So it would mean his personal presence after his absence. The long way to be over. A cloud took him out of their sight. He'll return with the clouds of heaven. He ascended, he'll descend. But we can say more. Scripture gives us a kaleidoscope of images. So 2 Peter, and verse, chapter 3, verse 10. <clears throat> but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So when he comes, time and space will be torn apart. The whole cosmos will ignite with his presence. And like a thief, his coming will be sudden, glorious, momentous. 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. When the emperor would come to a city, the, city, the citizens of that city would go out to meet the emperor and then return to the city. That's something of the imagery here. When the great king returns, his people go out to meet him. But it's also the language of, of the wedding, isn't it? Psalm 45, it's picking up that imagery as well. Here's the bridegroom returning. What does the bride do? She goes out to meet her bride, bridegroom. And then the two return 
to the Father's house. That's the sense of what's going on here as Christ comes back and his people go out to meet him. But listen again. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So this is a summons to awake the universe. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. So it's not going to be a secret, silent rapture, is it? It's very noisy. The whole of creation is being woken up. He descends from heaven with a cry of command. The armies of heaven are on the move. He descends with the voice of an archangel. Maybe it's one and the same as that cry of command. But actually, I I think our minds ought to go to Revelation 10. Revelation 10, there's this mighty angel. He's got one foot on the land and one foot in the sea. And he calls out. And it says in Revelation 10, his voice is like a lion roaring. And what does he say? this mighty angel, he says, no more delay. The wait is over. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming now. The kingdom is coming in all its fullness, the consummation of all things. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with a voice of an archangel. No more delay. And the sound of the trumpet of God. That trumpet sounded when the Lord came down on Sinai. There are echoes of Sinai here. But the sound of this trumpet will summon all creation. It's summoning the living and the dead to witness the glorious appearing of the King, this world's rightful ruler. Now, James, in his letter, he calls the Lord Jesus Christ, he calls him the glory. Translations get hold of it and they twist it. They add a couple of other words in there. They they call him the Lord of glory. I don't know why translations do that. Often people who translate don't preach. Two extra words, but it doesn't say that. Speaking of Jesus Christ, he calls him simply the glory. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, James 2, 1, the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory. So he's not simply glorious. He doesn't merely possess glory. He is the glory. You see the radiance of the splendor of the glory of God in his face. Here comes the king. The fire that burns behind the universe That fire is now revealed. That's why Paul in 2 Thessalonians will speak of the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. You have this sense all the time that the language just isn't big enough. In this age, we live by the light of flickering candles. But when he appears... 
it will be the coming of that eternal day when we will need no light of the sun. For the King will be our light. He is the glory. Have you had a brush with history? Um, have you played the, the handshake? I was going to call it the handshake game. It's not really a game, is it? But a, a, apparently we're no more than six handshakes from everyone else in the world. I don't know how they work that out. But if you shake someone's hand and they shake someone's hand, the, the whole world's connected by six handshakes. Think about one later. I'm only three handshakes from Charles Spurgeon. Because I've shaken the hand of the man who's shaken the hand of the woman who's shaken the hand of Charles Spurgeon. I'm only two handshakes away from Churchill because I've shaken the hand of the man who's shaken the hand of Churchill. And I found out quite recently I was only two handshakes away from Hitler. (laughs) But a brush with history. Or maybe you've been part of something that's really big. Something that was on the news and the headlines, things that are remembered. And you can say, I was there. I was there. I was was there. But you see, one day we'll be caught up in the greatest drama of them all. The momentous event. It's the event to which all history, all events are moving. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be there. Every eye will see him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. You, me, everyone will be overtaken by the overwhelming reality of the presence of the King. And every cell of my being will be alive to His coming. Think of it. The clouds of heaven, His chariot. Angels, his attendants. Archangels, his outriders. It's the return of the king. This world's rightful ruler. The one who's come to set everything right. The one who will judge the world. Who will punish the ungodly. Who will redeem his people. Heaven and earth are in his hands. So what will it be like? At his first coming... There is one angel. One angel appears to a group of shepherds. They're tough. They're they're used to protecting their flocks. They're rough men. One angel is enough to terrify a group of rough shepherds. So what will it be like when he comes, it says, with all his holy angels? The vast ranks of the armies of heaven, 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands upon thousands. But we won't be looking at the angels. We'll be looking at Him. We'll be looking at the glory. And you will be there. We will all be there. The whole human race will be there. From Adam onwards. The living and the dead. All of us to witness the final moments of this world. The passing of this age. And the full coming of God's new world. 
It will be His day. It's the day of the Lord. It is the momentous event. So number four. How shall we prepare for His coming? How do we prepare? You testifies these things, says, surely I'm coming soon. John says, amen, come Lord Jesus. Says Jesus to his bride, to the church, it won't be long, I'm coming, I'm coming soon. The days of our enforced separation will soon be over. Soon it'll be our wedding day. So hold on, get ready. We get that, but how do I get ready? How do I prepare for his coming? How do I make the prospect of his coming a daily reality? Paul um, speaks of those in 2 Timothy 4 who have loved his appearing. Loved, that's a strong word, isn't it? Loved his appearing. How, how, do I, how do I make it real, felt, today, to love his appearing? When you love something, you, you can't stop thinking about it. It's on the radar all the time. How do I love his appearing? What do I do? What am I supposed to do? How do I get there? Well, what do lovers do? Sometimes they remember their first meeting. So think of your first meeting with Christ. Maybe he ran to meet you as you came from the far country. Maybe like Zacchaeus, you were up a tree, just out of curiosity. Who is, what's all this about? And he was passing by, and he stopped, and he spoke to you by name. You never heard his voice before, but as soon as he spoke to you, you knew it was him. You knew it was him. And he said to you, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Maybe you, were, you felt so ashamed of the sort of person you are. So fearful, you thought, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, what I need to do. And he stopped, didn't he? He said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Or maybe you're like the woman at the well, and life's a desert. Your life was a desert. Everything was a desert. And you were so, so thirsty. And all you'd ever drunk was salty water that made you thirstier still. And that day he gave you living water. first meeting. Well, think to yourself, do I want to go back to the way it was before I ever met him? Horror of horrors. (laughs) Never, never, never. I don't want to go back to that life the way that it was. It was a miserable, empty life. So I'll hold on because he's made every difference. And I'll see him soon. But there's another dimension, isn't there? Because although he is bodily absent, by his Spirit, he comes and meets with us. By his Spirit, he lives in us. John 14, verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The last words in Matthew, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How is he with us? By his Spirit. His other self. 
the bridegroom who comes by his spirit to his church. And there are times, aren't there, when we, he comes and we feel his, his breath upon us. It's the Lord. We feel his presence. It's real. It's, he's here. And it's the foretaste of our wedding day. So by the Spirit, we can all be Mary and sit at his feet and learn of him. And by the Spirit, we can all be the beloved disciple, John, leaning our head upon Jesus' breast, next to his heart, feeling his breath upon us, and maybe he'll whisper his secrets into our ear. And like Mary Magdalene, we can visit the empty tomb and then hear his footfall. Rabboni! The joy of those unexpected meetings. And you know, it's the Lord I wasn't expecting, but he's met with me. Or maybe those times you've been through an awful time of doubt and fear, but then like doubting Thomas, he's come and he's met with you, and you've fallen before him, you said, my Lord and my God. Or maybe like Peter, I often find myself with Peter when it's all gone wrong. And I've messed up again. I've messed up big time. It's all gone wrong. And all I can say is, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, even though everything about me seems to say I don't love you. And like Paul, we can say, I count all things as, as rubbish, as dung. That I may gain Christ. So in this world, we can know the comings of the bridegroom by His Spirit, meeting with us. Okay, yeah, but I'm tired. And I want to go to sleep. Now the world pulls me because so often the attraction of the world is it, it's just so much easier, isn't it? I can just drift along, just go with the flow. And I'm tired of the warfare, and I'm not sure how much fight I've got left in me. And some temptations are so attractive. They're just so attractive. They're so mouth-watering. And living in this world is just so busy, 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 busy. I get so absorbed with all that I have to do. I get absorbed with the cares and worries of this life. So what am I to do? How am I to make His coming something that's real felt now, today? What am I to do? Well, the bridegroom understands all of that, which is why he puts us into the company of those who love him too. He puts us into a family. He puts us into a church. So together, together, together we see the family likeness. Together we see Christ in one another. Together we can stir one another up in anticipation of the great day. It's interesting what Paul says to uh, Timothy. Timothy is uh, pastoring a church. Uh, it's the Ephesian church. He's putting things right. Paul's telling him how to sort things out. What does he say to Timothy? He says this. Okay, he's pastoring a church. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Timothy, live a godly life. Timothy, focus on the teaching. Get those two things right. Your life, your teaching. Your life, your teaching. And if you get those two things right, then it will be right 
with the church that you're pastoring. You'll be saved, they'll be saved. So, be part of a church. Share your life with the godly, with the godly examples, with the ones who stir you up. And in that, be devoted to God's Word. The company of God's people, the Word of God, you'll be then ready. It'll prepare you for Christ's coming. So stick with the godly, give yourself to God's Word, and it won't go wrong. It's as simple as that. (laughs) So is that what you're doing? You're seeking out the godly, the Christ-like, the ones in whom you look at them and you you can see Christ in them. You see the likeness, the family likeness. You love being with them. You want to talk with them. You want to pray with them. You want to share with them. You've got questions for them. Stay with them. And then somehow when you're with them, it becomes more real and you're stirred up and you think, I, because you're seeing Christ in them. Get as much of the God as you can and as much of God's Word as you can. As much as God's Word. Oh, we all know we've been through sermons and they've half killed us. And we've wandered from... Down, down to Beersheba, and we've been through the deserts, and it's, oh, I got there just in the end. But sometimes, as we walked, it's been holy ground, and some a thought has come, and it's refreshed me and revived me, and it was the Lord. And what does the writer of the Hebrews say? What does he say to people actually who've lost their whole focus? People are thinking maybe I ought to go back to the way it used to be lost their way. He says this, Hebrews 10, you'll know these words very well, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So again, it's simple, isn't it? All the more as you see the day drawing near, living in anticipation of the return of Christ. How? Meet together. There are special days, aren't there? Sundays, Wednesdays, days when we meet together as a church. Begin there. Your very presence will be an encouragement to others. Your very voice lifted in singing will be an encouragement to others. Your very handshake, your very embrace, your very welcome, your very smile will be an encouragement to others. Begin there. Meet together. And he says, stir up one another to love and good works. Some people talk about RAKs, random acts of kindness. There are whole websites given over to random acts of kindness. But we believe in QALs, quiet acts of love. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Encouraging one another, so much more as you see the day drawing near. Quiet acts of love, they're, they're just as important. Have someone around for a coffee. Drop bios on with some food. Send a text. Go for a walk. Go for a walk and get a bacon sandwich on the way. Practical support. I always think of Dorcas. Dorcas makes undergarments for widows. And she dies. But what she does is such a key ministry that God raises her from the dead. (laughs) 
You might think, well, if she was a great preacher to thousands and thousands, she makes undergarments for widows. God says, she's far too important to go now. Let's bring her back. It's such a key ministry. What's your equivalent of making undergarments for widows? You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be spectacular. It doesn't have to be special, does it? But it's, it's key. It's vital. Practical support. And don't feel you have to know someone really well before you do anything for them. You're brothers and sisters in the Lord. You're members of the same family. That, enough, that qualifies you, doesn't it? You're sheep in the same flock. So you're always supposed to be together. So don't wait until I know them really well before I'll do anything. And don't be thinking, well, you know, someone ought to really do that. Why isn't, why isn't someone looking after that? Well, maybe no one else has spotted it because God has told you to do it. So don't think someone ought to do that. You do it. And don't feel they have to be the same age as you. So if you're young, you just spend time with young people. What good is that? Well, it is good. But what about meeting with some of the older people? And if you're old, don't think, well, the young people won't want to hear what I've got to say. Why? You're further on in the Christian life. Spend time with them. And what about those who haven't got a family to fall back on? Because their family maybe is in another country or another part of this country. And what about those for whom English is, is not their first language? They've got to come, overcome so many barriers. Well, you leap over the hurdles for them and get to where they are and help them. QALs, quiet acts of love. I mean, the simplest thing to do, isn't it, is, is love always finds a way. That's the point. Love always finds a way. If you love someone, you'll always find a way to do something good, to help them, to show your love. Love always finds a way. And maybe the simplest thing to do is, what would I like someone to do for me? What would, what would, be re- what would make it really special for me? What would I love someone to do for me? So that's what I'll go and do for somebody else. So don't wait for someone to come and do it to you. And don't say, well, no one ever does it for me. Go and do it to them. Christ was never shown perfect love and never stopped him loving perfectly, did he? So we do these things. We take the initiative. That's what love does. And maybe you need to say this as well. Let's not mind about the state of our homes. Yeah? I mean, homes are a mess, aren't they? And there are parts of our homes which are a real mess because that's the nature of family life, home life, messy life. And if we think, oof, the state of my home, don't come near. Or if you go into someone's home and think, oh, look at the state of this place. Um, don't, don't. Let's not be afraid about, okay, my, the home's a mess. Fine, come in. Because the relationship is bigger than the state of the home, isn't, isn't it? And when I come in, don't think, don't be looking sideways. Show your love to them. Let's not worry about set pieces. And process just make use of the fellowship groups. Maybe you're, you already heard the notes about fellowship groups, think, well, I'm not going to that. It's a waste of time, our fellowship group. I, I ought to be in another fellowship group. Fellowship groups. It's a great opportunity, isn't it? Love always finds a way. God's put you in that fellowship group. You might be thinking, I've been, I've been put in the wrong fellowship group. Well, someone's put you in that group. Providence has put you in that group. Quiet acts of love. What can you do that would make such a big difference to your fellowship group? Well, maybe the big thing you can do is actually to be there. Just come. 
Maybe it was rubbish. So you pray about it next time. It was better. Maybe when I went there, I thought, is this any good for me? Actually, if you went there and thought, what can I do to be a blessing to others? Maybe the whole evening would have been so different. Fellowship groups. Quiet acts of love. Do you see the point we're trying to make here? We're preparing for Christ's return. We're preparing for the momentous event. But our preparation doesn't have to be momentous. That's the point. Quiet acts of love. These are little threads that bind us together. Little threads that bind us together and prepare us for the great day. And as we close this fourth point, and we're nearly at the end of the message, how else should we prepare? Well, John says this. (coughs) Excuse me. 1 John 3. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. He's saying, isn't he? When we see him, we'll be like him. And actually, when you get hold of that, that changes the way you do things. We shall see him as he is. We shall see Christ in all his vividness, all his beauty, all his fullness, all his majesty. And when we see him, we will never feel more alive. And we'll experience his touch. And when he touches us, we'll wonder if we ever knew what it meant to be touched. Was I ever touched before? Now I feel his touch. And when I hear his voice with my ears, we'll wonder if it's the first time we've ever heard anything. And that voice will go right down to the very depths of our soul. No selective hearing on that day. When we see his face, that face that was spat upon for me, we'll be aware of him as we've never been aware of anything before. The vividness, the reality, the life, the event. My whole life has been built for this moment. We shall see the king in his beauty, and we shall want for nothing more. Abundantly satisfied. So how are you going to prepare for his coming? How am I going to prepare for his coming? Brothers and sisters, just remember that first meeting when he met with you. Think, oh, I don't want to go back to the world and the life that I had before that. And we know the comings and goings of the bridegroom now by his spirits. So cultivate the presence of the bridegroom now and live fully as a member of this church. Play a full part in the life of this church. Love God's Word. Love the godly. Seek out their company. More and more of this shared life. More and more of those quiet acts of love. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then think about the day the wedding day itself, what it will be like, the madness, the folly of not being ready. And then whatever it costs, you think, I'm going to hold on. Whatever it costs, I'm going to keep watching, waiting, longing, looking, loving His appearing. Whatever it costs. Because when I see Him, Whatever it costs will be so many nothings.
That's why Jesus says to you, Behold, I'm coming soon. The last words, the last words of the last book. I'm coming soon. It won't be long. And what does the bride say? Verse 17, the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And as she shares the good news and stretches out her hands to others, and they hear that He's coming. And let the, the one who hears say, Come. But I'm going to close with this. The fifth point, if you like. This morning, if you're not a believer, then you're not ready for His coming. And those who are least prepared have most to lose. Because you go to eternity via the judgment. You're not ready. You go to eternity via the judgment. You'll go to the lake of fire. Well, there's not even a drop of water to cool a tormented tongue. So what does the Lord say to you this morning? Does he say, ha! Too late! What does he say? Look at verse 17. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. He says to you this morning, whoever you are, it's not too late. And he says, I'm not asking you to believe impossible things. He says, I just have one question for you. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? That's the only question you have to answer. Are you thirsty? Empty, unsatisfied. Do you want to drink? And he says, come to me and drink. Drink and you'll never, ever thirst again. An everlasting cool drink of water on a hot, dry, dusty day. Liquid life. That goes down to your very soul. Water that makes you clean and new. Water that satisfies your soul. Water that will never run dry. Water for which there is no charge. If you're thirsty, says Jesus, come. If you've heard nothing about this series, it's all gone over your head and you think, I've been bored stiff sitting here. If you don't hear anything else, says the Lord, hear this. Let the one who is thirsty come. Or maybe you say, I listen to this. I've grown up in a Christian home. I just can't believe. Says Jesus, come. And I'll give you faith to believe. Maybe you say, well, I, I love my sins. I don't want to leave my sins. Says Jesus, come. And I'll grant you repentance. Or maybe you say, I can never keep it up. Says Jesus, are you thirsty? Well, come, drink. And you'll never look back. Says Jesus, here is life. Abundant, overflowing life. The only qualification you need, the only question you have to think about this morning is, am I thirsty? Am I thirsty? Says Jesus, well then come. Because I've done everything by my cross, by my resurrection, to put you right with God, to bring you peace, 
to change your life. Are you thirsty? Come. He stands with open arms, beckoning arms. He says, come. The only qualification you need for coming to Christ is that you're thirsty. Are you thirsty? Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life. It's free without price. He who testifies these things says, Surely I am coming soon. He stands on the threshold. He's nearer this Lord's Day than he was last Lord's Day. He stands on the threshold. He stands outside time, but he's on the threshold of time. The trumpet is about to sound. That great shout which will unleash the, unleash the armies of heaven is but a breath away. The day of Pentecost announced the last days. 2,000 years of the last days. We're living in the last days. It's not long now, brothers and sisters. He who testifies these things says, Surely I am coming soon. To which we say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these beautiful invitations. We thank you that the last words of our beloved to us are, it won't be long. Help us, Lord, to hold on. Help us, Lord, to look up. Help us, Lord, to wait. Help us, Lord, to long. Help us, Lord, to love his appearing. And help us, Lord, to do it as a church family. Help us to help one another so that when the bridegroom comes, we, the bride, are ready because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.